Hello, Stitchers. Welcome to Stitch Please, the official podcast of Black Women Stitch, the sewing group where Black Lives Matter. I'm your host, Lisa Woolfork. I'm a fourth-generation sewing enthusiast with more than 20 years of sewing experience. I am looking forward to today's conversation. So sit back, relax, and get ready to get your stitch together. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Stitch Please podcast. I'm your host, Lisa Woolfork, and I am delighted to bring to you to introduce Alexis Galloway from So Sweet Monogramming, So Sweet Academy, So Sweet, So Sweet. Thank you so much, Alexis, for being with us today. Alexis does machine embroidery, commercial machine embroidery, and works with the multi-needle machines. And I am very interested in those and learning more about those and to bring her to the Stitch Please family. Welcome, Alexis. Hey, thank you, thank you. (laughs) And if you are a Patreon subscriber, you get the benefit of the video of our conversation, which, why are you not? If you're not a Patreon subscriber, why are you not? It's only $2 a month. And as I say all the time, you know I am worth way more than two doggone dollars. Sign up for the Patreon and you get to see not just this video with Alexis looking fantastic with her embroidery nutrition facts sweatshirt and her fantastically and very clean looking embroidery (laughs) studio. Like it looks big. There's a reason that I film in this corner of the room every week because I'm not about to be showing all of my studio to, um, to the peoples because it's not, it's not suitable for that kind of viewing. But Alexis's is in wonderful shape. So Alexis, welcome, welcome, welcome. And thank you for joining us today. Thank you for having me. So I, I wanted to get started with, can you tell me about your sewing story? When did sewing first come into your life? Just at this, just, I think you said you learned from your mom. So I was, I was born into sewing, basically. My mom sewed and probably from the age of as, as young as I could sit on her lap and hand over hand, stitch, put things on. She was controlling the foot pedals and I was the one, you know, just kind of maneuvering everything around. And it's never been a situation, you know, how usually some people like to put everything up from the kids. I was always exposed to everything, you know, the pins, all kind of stuff. I, I was able to play with the tools from very young. I just had a good knowledge of what everything was. And I grew up, she showed me how to make different things. I stitched all the way through middle school and then high school, it was not as popular and not as cool to sew anymore. So I stopped and I wish I hadn't, but... When I had my daughter in 2007, I picked it back up probably the year after because a, a coworker came in and she had an embroidery machine. And I was like, I could, I could do that. Like, I could probably do better too. <laughs> so I came home, told my mom about it. Just typical her. She went out, purchased an embroidery machine for all of us to use, me, her, and my sister. And I'm the one that took a, a special interest in it, started selling things to my coworkers and just you know, fell in love with it all over again with the creative space. That is, here I go. It's such a beautiful story, Alexis. And I really like how you recognize your mother's invitation, right? That when, from a small child, your earliest memories of sewing wasn't just, oh, go sit down somewhere. I'm trying to sew or, you know, don't touch this. And like you said, that's true that a lot of parents would put away, would keep sewing machines and sewing gear and scissors and pins and all those kind of things away from children, right? Mm -hmm. My mother, for example, 
my poor mama, she, she had fabric scissors and she had paper scissors. And there's three girls, I'm the oldest of three, and she would tie a piece of fabric to her scissors. <laughs> Unfortunately, I never knew if the fabric meant those were the ones we were supposed to use for paper or the ones we weren't supposed to use for paper. I'll just say my mama had a whole lot of jacked up scissors because I my sisters and I could not understand the system. And so for her, it was better to put all her stuff up. You know, not that we wouldn't find it and be like, look what we found. <laughs> look at all this stuff in here. Did you know this stuff was in here? Exactly. It's just cool. And it's always so colorful and nice. And just, it's just cool. And, yeah, my poor mama. Yeah, poor, poor, poor mama, poor mama. And so your mom was like, I invite you to come in and play with this stuff. Like the, I, the beautiful vision of you as a, as a toddler, as a small child sitting on her lap while she controlled the, the needle going up and down the, the speed of the machine, but you got to guide the fabric through with your hands on top of her hands. That is a really beautiful image. And it just shows the way that sewing was incorporated into your life in from the earliest from your earliest memories did she make a lot of your clothes and those kinds of things or did she sew for other people or both both so she made a lot of my clothes i don't know if you remember but in the 80s the patterns with the big fluffy shoulders yeah. and yes. and the high waist with the different clothes i love those i think it was like kingdom something i can't even remember the name of the pattern but um my sister and i she was the daisy kingdom Daisy, yes. I know, see, that's so crazy. I remember the kingdom portion of it. Yeah. I can visualize it. I can but, um, too. I can too. <laughs> so she would make so many of our things and we would just have like different color renditions of each other's stuff. I think blankets are my favorite right now. I have a couple that just, it's like a Winnie the Pooh blanket and it's falling apart and I, I still love it. And she wanted to take it home to revamp it. I said, you do not touch my blanket. This is mine. <laughs> every hole and every bare spot has a memory. Yes. It's been worn down with love. Yes, exactly. And it's mine. <laughs> so when you decided then, like what occurred to get you to make the leap from, okay, I'll make things for coworkers. My mom got this machine for me and my sisters and her to use. I want to do more than just the occasional project here and there. I actually want to completely transform from working and having coworkers to owning my own business. How did you get from those two? That seems like a pretty far leap. So it is, especially, well, before I um, went full-time at embroidery, I was a physical therapist assistant. And in my mind, I, there was no way I could replace my income. Like I, I just, I couldn't see how that was possible just crafting and, and doing this as a hobby. So I just, I had a couple friends and I would just tell them, well, I don't know, in the entrepreneurial space, I still had, I had friends that were there. And I would just say, you know, I don't, I don't think I could just really make money off this. I, I mean, I, I do things, I sell it here and there, but I don't think this is like a real career. And they're like, you could teach this. Like, okay, that sounds fun, but you know, who knows? And I got laid off from, I was doing home health physical therapy. I love, 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 love the profession. I, I actually, if I have to be honest, I, I miss it. And my mom's therapist came the other day to re help rehab her knee. And she came back the next day and said, you know, I think you really should consider working for us. I was like, mm, no. <laughs> but that, that more. How about I work for my own mama here? Right. How about I do that instead? Right. So I just, you know, when I got laid off, all the Medicare changes and the um, cuts with home health, and that was in 20. 19. So perfect 
God planned timing. Wow. Because by the time unemployment ran out, right? I'm telling you all my business, but by the time unemployment ran out, the world shut down and I couldn't go to work anyway. <laughs> so I was like, you know, let me just, and I had already opened the academy. I was doing that so sweet academy. I was doing that while I was working and I was just feeling so overwhelmed. I could tell my heart was not in, even though I love therapy, my yes. heart was not necessarily in therapy anymore. Yes. I was getting burnt out. So the timing was, it was just right. And I, I opened the academy. I wanted to have more time to spend with my academy members and just really plan things out. So that transition, God made that transition for me. And I just was obedient. That I, I re, it's so funny because the name of your academy, so sweet academy, where did that name come from? What can you talk about? So sweet, because when I hear so sweet, I'm thinking like, you know, things that are sweet, like, you know, sweet, little, cute, little, tweed, little hearts and little animals with little button eyes, you know, really cute, sweet things. But what you're talking about is not sweet. What you're no, talking so, about is so like, can, t- tell me about the name. So this sweet. Is, this is my favorite, my second favorite story to tell when it comes to my business, because when I first started, I was making items that were, I was doing baby, I, I love baby items. So I was doing bibs, burp cloths, onesies, and I would construct them into the shape of sweets. So the burp cloths were cupcakes, the onesies and the bibs, I would roll them up as candy. I think I, I might have one in the closet. I can't remember, but um, as candy and I would put ribbons and stuff on it. So I was like, oh, okay, you know, that's cute. So one day I was in my kitchen and I, I didn't, I was I was operating without a name. I didn't know what I was going to do. I prayed about it. You know, anything, any move I need to make, I pray about it. And I was just sitting there. I was just walking around, washing my dishes in my kitchen. And the words, so sweet, just came to me. And I said it. I said, so sweet. I was like, so sweet. Like, so sweet. That's it. It just, and it was just clear as day. And I did not know at the time that that name would just, would match every portion of my embroidery career. So. I love that. I love how it's both a revelation and a manifestation. Mm-hmm. It's a revelation because it was revealed to you while you were just in the midst of your regular activities, right? You you had prayed about it. You had thought about it. It was percolating in the back of your mind. And then the name was revealed to you. It just came to you. So, mm-hmm. But it's also a manifestation, this idea that somehow your business, your, the monogramming, the teaching, the, the stitching, it can be sweet. It does not have to be bitter. It does not have to be sour. It does not have to be difficult. It can be sweet as well. And it can be joyful and pleasurable. And that's absolutely what I love about your name and about that story, because you know what it, it announces that this is going to be something that you would enjoy, mm-hmm. even though the process behind it was not enjoyable. Exactly. <laughs> not always. <laughs> not always. Not always. Can you talk about some of the, the challenges in the growth of your, of your business? You, said you were able to start off with what kind of, what was the first, what was the first embroidery machine that your mother got when she got that machine? that for all three of you all to share, was it a standard? Because I, I think that some folks need to understand the difference between the different types of embroidery machines. Mm-hmm. What type was it that she bought? So it was a PE680D. And that's, so, it's a brother, is that, is that the single needle brother? 
It's the brother. It looked a lot like the 770, but it was the Disney edition. So it had Disney characters built in. Yes. It's a lot. I compare it to stitching while playing Tetris because those little dots and little pixelated things, you, you don't know what you're about to stitch out. Oh, <laughs> so, that, so, so the way that the, I have seen, of course, the, the Brother PE, um, this is a machine that's very, very popular, y'all, that you know how we all are familiar with the way that sewing machine companies name and rank their machines. They, they start with, you know, Bernina does it with numbers and letters. Baby Lock does it with names. I think Janome might do names as well, but it might start with a basic machine that has very few features. And then as you go up the hierarchy, you end up with machines that have Wi-Fi, Bluetooth, USB connectivity. And these are still all single machines, y'all, okay? And so what Alexis is describing is kind of like a, a single needle, smaller, lower end, but one of the, it was a four by four hoop. Was that the max? This one was the five by seven. A five by seven. So the smallest ones had like a four by four maximum range of embroidery, four by four inches. And then the next ones up go to five by seven. And then some go to eight by 10 and they go to nine by 12. Like they get bigger and bigger, but they're still single. The benefit of this brother machine that people loved was the Disney the Disney in it, because it is impossible, I would say, to stitch out Disney designs that are legit without Disney's <laughs> legit authorization. And you know who else did that? I don't know if it was Brother or maybe it was, I think it might have been Baby Lock that had Laura Ashley designs built in. So certain machines will have, and who does, I think um, Bernina has Tula Pink Mm -hmm. designs built in now so like all these different companies will develop relationships with brands to stitch out their designs do you remember stitching out a bunch of designs when you first got your disney machine so the funny thing is i wanted the disney brand so bad because my daughter thought she was a disney character and i wanted <laughs> i got so tired of listening to hot dog hot dog hot diggity dog oh my um, gosh the funny thing is i think i stitched the disney design that came with the machine one time Wow. Anytime. I I got a couple of the other programs that went with it, like for fonts and stuff. That was my main thing. I wanted to be able to do fonts and cute names. I took a, a big liking to applique. So yes. the applique didn't come on the machine at the time. They may have some now, but I, I would go on Etsy or some of these different websites that have the digitizers that have a whole library of it. And yes. I would just download and do from there. But yeah, I, I rarely use what was on there, to be honest, but it, it was nonetheless still an awesome machine. It was yes. an awesome machine. Yeah. And it's a, it's a great starter machine. A lot of people start with it and embroidery can be very expensive. And so it can be good to kind of start small just to see if you like it. And it turns out you liked it. So <laughs> <laughs> when did you decide to make the leap from the single needle brother to something that you had to approach very differently. I guess the commercial multi-needle embroidery machines that these look, oh, look, there's, some, there's one right behind us, y'all, right behind Alexis. And if you're a Patreon subscriber, you get to see it. And if you're not a Patreon subscriber, why don't you look in your couch and find $2 and send it to me? <laughs> there you go. But those machines, I find them so impressive. I really, I don't know what it is. It's kind of like, imagining one of those gigantic organs at like one of those really elaborate churches from the 18th century in Europe that where the pipes go all the way up to the ceiling, you know, it's just like, 
how do you play this? Does it have keys? You know, but it's, 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 I don't know. I don't know what it is about looking when I approach a, a machine like that, that my brain just goes, I guess, cause I'm so used to watching one needle. I can't keep my eye on eight, you know, or on seven or four even. But you, you so was that the first one you kind of transitioned to? Did you start with the, how many needles does that machine have? So this has six. On good days, it has six. The other day, I may be down to five because it, it hit the side and I almost had a heart attack. But oh. listen, but everybody that has one, we it, that's like a rite of passage. Everybody knows that at some point, something's going to bend on there because you're going to hit the wrong button and you almost just pass out because you think your life is flashing before your eyes. This is the PR655. It's not the newest. There, there is another new one out. I think it's the PR680D, 780D or something, mm-hmm. something, something close like that. No, W, that's what it is, W. Okay. I told them the W is not for wide, but, <laughs> but it's the W brand. This, I did, I stepped up from the, the Disney one that I had to this one. Wow. And the way I did it, I did not finance it at all, Okay. I got here and I stitched bunnies for Easter and you can stitch on the ear yes. the name and the year. And yes. I saved my money. I, I used that to, two things. I took my daughter on a Disney cruise with all of my money from that. And then also I saved it and I, I purchased my machine and I would go in there and we were talking about manifesting earlier. I would go into the embroidery shop and I would just go visit my machine. I didn't know I was doing that. I didn't know I was manifesting it. I just knew that I liked this machine and they would come, I would come in and they would say, are you ready to buy today? Nope. I'm just visiting. I just come by and just check on my machine. And then finally one day, I didn't even have a date set. Finally, one day I just looked at my account and I was like, you know what? I think I can swing this. I think it's time. Went in, purchased it, came on home with it, let it sit for a month because I was afraid of it. I still let it settle in. Right. Let's I just, still visit. We still visit every now and again, you know. Did you yeah. do you name your machines? Do you name your sewing machine your embroidery machines? I, you know, I don't. I've never been one to name my cars or my machines. My sister does. She names her car, but I've I've never been one for that. I, I probably should. Well, I just feel like y'all had developed a relationship. You came and you visited often. You visited over the months and checked in on her while she was at the store. And then one day you decided to bring her home and then you set her up in the in the sewing space and let her get acclimated to all the threads and get adjusted to the other machines in the community. And I feel like you have done everything to, you know, anthropomorphize that's what they say when you turn a, a thing into a, 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 a person or animate it to anthropomorphize your sewing machine this is like a disney thing where soon <laughs> she'll be like the eyes will start blinking and then she'll wave her little arms around you know and say hello i'm alive i mean she has a mind of her own i will say that <laughs> so I, I probably do need to come up with a name the problem is will i remember it or the problem is can i tell people the real name because I, I call it some names. I call her some names on a regular. I don't know if I could tell everybody the name. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. We don't want her to think that that's her name. Right. What, what's her name? Her name is Damn It. <laughs> right. Right. Oh, that's fantastic, though. I am so excited to see this growth. What were some of the things you had to keep in mind? moving from a machine that we most of us are familiar with where you go in you sit down you put your thread spool in the top left the top right corner you take your thread through the thread guards and up and over the loop you put it into the hook you thread it in 
around the needle and you thread it through the needle and then you're ready to sew. Mm -hmm. How do you, you've been doing that for years, ever since you were a small child. And now you are facing a machine that has six needles. What's the first thing that flashes through your head? And then how do you make that adaptation to, okay, I really do like this. When I first, I was so intimidated by the threading situation, but to be honest, it's, it's the same process. You know, all the machines, they do show you, they have a track. It goes down the track. So all you have to do is just follow the track and then you do it five more times. Once you do the first needle, you do it because it's a six needle, you do it five more times. It's, it's not that hard. What I like to do now, I tie it off. When I learned that you could do that, you tie it off at the top, kind of like a serger, and you yes. pull it through. If one of them comes unthreaded, I have like, oh, I don't want to start back over threading, but that is the easiest way to do it. Just tie it off and go all the way through. And it, it seems very intimidating, but it's, it's really not. Like once you get it, you get it. Yeah. You just have to remember that it, it is sensitive and it's, it's, a machine literally so there's going to be sensors and if your little bitty piece of thread moves this much out of the sensor area you'll get something that says check upper thread and you know it's probably still the lower thread or you know it just it just says check upper thread. so you have to know where to go and i tell people all the time if all else fails just follow that thread back up and see if something looks like it's out of place out of place hey friends hey what are you doing on thursday around 3 p.m or so you got 30 minutes to hang out with Black Women's Stitch? You got 60? If so, come through for 30-Minute Thursdays. Thursdays, 3 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. You can chill with Black Women's Stitch on Instagram Live or talk with us through the two-way audio on Clubhouse at 3.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. That's Thursdays for 30 minutes. Come hang out, chill, and have fun with us. See you Thursday. I also am excited to note that your machine will tell you what is wrong. Kind of. It'll tell you something is wrong. <laughs> it's like, I don't need a computer message to tell me something's wrong. The machine isn't going. Something might be wrong. Exactly. Um, but I do I love how it kind of gives you this message to say, oh, okay, check upper thread, do this. Now, those of us who are familiar with the standard machine, I keep referring to this because I want to kind of have some kind of interpretive connection, like the things that we're familiar with to things that we might not be. The sewing machine operates with a single needle and a single bobbin, right? Mm -hmm. That when, That's how a stitch is formed. How Can you explain how a stitch is formed on your six needle machine? Are there six different bobbins for each thing? Is there just one giant bobbin? Like how does the stitch get created? So it's the same concept because you can only stitch one needle at a time. So it will stitch whatever needle that you have programmed in there. And then when it's time to move to the next one, it, it just, it sounds like a machine. It, you know, it moves to the next one, it stitches. And the bobbin actually looks like, and when I was growing up, I hated this kind of bobbin because I never really knew how to thread it. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a front loading bobbin. She's showing us a front loading bobbin, the kind that I think, I think Viking had some front loaders. Um, I had a Viking five, I think I had a Viking that had a front loader. Yeah, it's like you hold this little, wing that's like a car door and then you and then you slide it on there but yeah so I that took a little getting used to but I mean it's the same thing it's one bobbin the thing I like about this one when I learned um when I started getting into new things with the multi-needle it's magnetic and it uses it all the way down to like nothing I'm almost done with this one wow but it uses it all the way down to nothing and it just pops 
right in there. If you're close enough, you can hear it click. And it, it's just, it's super easy, but it goes on the same, it's the same thing as a regular sewing machine. You know, it does the locking stitches and, you know, all the, right, all right. the things that, that hold the stitches in place if you were to slow it down and look at it. But it's not, to be honest, it's not much different from a sewing machine because it does, it does the running stitches. It does the satin stitches. It does all that. And the funny thing is with my sewing machine, I have, I think it might be a Kenmore. I don't know if it's even in, but there's nothing computerized about it. And I love it. I do yes. not want a computerized sewing machine. I, I, my mom has a ton of sewing machines and I just, I love my plane. Just, you push the lever and it goes. It's like, what, what is like, what is this sewing machine? Does it, does it tie off? Nope. Does it knock the threads? Nope. Does it automatically backstitch? Nope. What does it do? It sews a gorgeous and strong straight stitch. That is what it does. And the only button I have is I can flip the switch to turn it on and flip the switch to turn it off. That's all it does. Never had problems with it. <laughs> oh, that's fantastic. Oh, I love that. I love it. I was thinking about the hooping. There's so many things that you can stitch on a machine like that. What is some of the, what, can you identify something really like one of the most outlandish or unexpected things that you have embroidered for someone? Like, oh, I don't want to put this on. I want a boot or I want a hat or I want a barbecue grill cover. I mean, I don't know what people might want to bring to you to have embroidered. Do you do those kind of challenging things? I'm crazy because I, it's, I feel like people come to me with the most random things and I just take it on as a challenge. So if I have to think about the most random things, I can think of two. The first one was a Bible. And I was like, okay, we're really going to say a prayer before we do this. And I was at the mall. I wasn't even at home in the comfort of my own home. I was at a vendor event right outside of Barnes and Noble. It was around Christmas time and he wanted it as a gift. He wanted it embroidered. So me knowing, I tell everybody all the time, just, just know the basic rules. If you're going to do a book or something like that, if it's leather, as long as it's not a hard binding, you can do it. Just know those simple rules. I tried it. I said, well, what if I mess this up? He said, well, then I'll just, you know, I'll just go buy another Bible. I'm like, are you, you want me to buy another Bible? I mean, what's going on? <laughs> you said you would buy another Bible. I just want to make sure you said you, sir. Right. You. Right. Okay. So it went well. I, I stitched on it. It was, it was the name and everything. It was a, it was a good, it was a well-made leather Bible. So I suggest if you're going to stitch on a Bible, do leather. Yes. Um, the next thing that I did was on luggage. I did a, I did my logo on a, not, it wasn't even a carry on. It was a checked luggage bag, huge. I had to stand here, literally right here. And I had to hold the other side of it while it stitched. And I used specialized hoops. It made it might've been this one right here. These are hoop tech clamps. And I just clamped it on there, stitched it. And those are, yeah, that's the most. So like, I'm imagining like a bag and like you zip down the compartment, you open that compartment and is that the part you stitched on mm -hmm. so that front pocket area it was like the top you know how you have carry-ons is the top pocket and then there's the bottom one yeah I did that top one but I I still had to I had to hold, hold it the whole luggage piece and help it move uh-huh wow wow I would have absolutely made that a patch <laughs> I didn't know how to do patches and I would have stuck it on with safety pins because I would not have wanted to sew that onto the machine so mine would have looked quite jacked up, yeah, <laughs> quite bad. That is exciting. I was wondering about your academy and if you could talk a little bit about what it meant to shift from, in addition to doing like the, the bunnies that were able to buy you the machine and a vacation for your child, like that's fantastic. I love to hear it. What was the shift like from 
teaching, doing this all yourself to teaching people how to do it? So it, it was fairly, I want to say fairly easy, the teaching portion, the showing people what I do. Now the structure is what came hard for me because I'm not always a structured person. This comes super easy to me. So what where I had to slow down, I had to realize it doesn't come easy to everyone. And they're going to need more instruction. They're going to need more backstory and more why. I'm adventurous when it comes to stitching, obviously, due to the stories that I just told you about what I stitched on. And I had to find out that everybody isn't. Everybody isn't going to say, oh, I can, I can take on this strange project and I can take on a million projects at one time. So I had to, I, I just had to change my way of thinking and, and break it down. I started off by just going live on every Sunday. And, and this was three years ago. And to this day, I still do. I go live every Sunday at five o'clock Eastern Standard Time. And it's called It's So Sweet to Learn. Oh, that's, and you do that. Do you do that on your Instagram channel on, on, on Instagram or else Instagram or YouTube? It's on Facebook. I just started, I wish I had done YouTube earlier, but I just started uploading just the raw footage. I, I do everything in the easiest ways possible. Good. I don't edit anything. I literally Good. finish my live, upload it to YouTube. Yes. So, um, but it's on Facebook. I go live from my personal page and I share it into many other groups. Luckily, I've met a lot of different group owners that will allow me to share into their group and give value. So that's, that's a, that's, I, I really appreciate that. And I always try to incorporate them into my stitches, even if it's like stitching out one of their designs yeah. or some of their final or something, just to show them my appreciation because they yeah. don't have to. Yes. So. Yes. That's, that's collaboration. That is, that is, that makes the community stronger. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's, that's really wonderful. So what are some of the common um, challenges that your embroidery students face? Um, what are some of the common questions that you get that you've had to like, oh, I never thought about that as a, as a concern, but let me, okay, let me, you know, like what kind of things did you, that you in some ways have kind of learned from your students about what they might find difficult? Stabilizer, what's, what supplies to use, um, how to price their items, how to get it out there in front of audiences that will buy. So I've really, I've really turned the academy into focusing on things like that. Um, there's a mindset maintenance portion of it that it's, for crafters and creators such as ourselves, for some odd reason, we have the hardest time charging for what we do because we know how much time it takes. We know the value, well, we kind of know the value of it, but when it comes to giving or, or selling it, we, we retract into some little, oh, I don't, I don't know if I should charge you right. or people aren't going to pay as much as it takes to do this, or I had fun doing this. So this, I shouldn't charge a lot. <laughs> right. Yeah, those yeah. are those are the main things that I, I run into when it comes to my academy members. So we're always covering those those types of um, issues that come up. And then I like to really focus on what's popular right now yeah. in the stitch space. Um, yes. The other night we did beanies. I don't know if you've seen them, but they have the the patch on the front of it. Yes. And we did those, and it's just an applique patch. So for me, I was like, well, this is super easy. It's it's just an applique patch. And then when I started doing the class, I realized that a lot of them were struggling with that. But once I broke down the applique process, this yes. is how to merge it on there. It just I gave them homework. They did it. Yeah. And they turned it, it, it in. <laughs> And, you know, they got it. And then guess what? After they did the homework and they started showing it on their page, they started getting sales. I said, look at that. See, (laughs) there you go. And and charge people money because it costs you money to make it. And so, 
let's let's get some of that money back to you because these machines are not cheap (laughs) no they and that's why when you're talking about being adventurous it's like i don't think i could take a machine that cost in the five digits and take a piece of luggage and try to shove it up there to stitch on it i think i would i would be so tentative about like oh you know because i don't want to break it and so i'm so glad that you're able to get people to develop and foster confidence I was wondering if you could think about one of the strangest embroidery stories you ever heard of. Well, I mean, beyond somebody putting luggage in their machine, like somebody I know named Alexis. I remember, so stabilizers are a crucial part, y'all, of embroidery, that a stabilizer is the foundation for your design. I would say even more so than the fabric that you're you're choosing to embroider on, the, the stabilizer that you use to embroider is key. That's why they make 511 of them, right? They've got the washable, they've got the iron on, they've got the melt away, they've got the tear away, they've got the stuff that's woven, they've got stuff that's fused, they've got all of these different types, different weights, and different companies that do different things. All of it, all of it is very complicated. It's a really, I think it's a feat of engineering to figure out like, what do you need to hold together when you have designs that might have 30,000 stitches? That's a repetitive motion of drilling into a piece of fabric, you know, 30,000 times in different spots, but sometimes in the same spot. So it can, there's all these, they get the different like bulletproof feeling that when it's all built up. And so I remember once I was at a embroidery something, or maybe on an embroidery board or something. And somebody was saying that instead of, instead of using clear topper, which some people use a clear topper on top of the embroidery design to kind of um it's another way in addition to having stabilizer underneath they'll put a topper on the top to keep down either a napped fabric or just to kind of give it some more stability right this person was using glad press and seal from the grocery store i don't know about that which in your face is exactly what my face did that was (laughs) like but embroidery friend why would you take your eleven thousand dollar machine and then get like $4 plastic wrap from the grocery store and put it on there. And that's meant to represent a huge cost savings. And I'm like, I don't see it. I don't see it as a cost savings because when you have to go in there, explain to the people that you tore up your machine with, with, with plastic wrap, I don't know how that's going to go for you. Yeah, I just, I could not imagine. And that, and I see where people like to salvage their stabilizer by sewing it together or just putting another piece, I'm like, it's, it's stabilizing. Why would you do that and compromise your complete project, your whole stitch out? I mean, it, is it really worth it, you know? So, just so, grab it, so to take it, so if you have a 10 by 10 piece and you got a six piece, a six, two sixes, you can't like overlap them, stitch them down the middle and hoop it and think it's gonna do the same as a 12 inch piece. I would not, people do it and their project is successful. I would not though. <laughs> because when their project is not successful, a lot of times they don't take that into consideration as to why it's not. Oh, and also thread is a big deal too, right? That thread, the different types, either polyester thread, rayon thread, different brands, all of that stuff. It's really complicated. So I think it's wonderful that you have a way to kind of instruct people and to guide people through that process. And you're saying that you also have a subscription box service in the works. That can, that's also going to help with that. Can you share more about that? So that is the ship and stitch box. So what that means is I was already doing the ship and stitch where I would ship all the supplies to make a project. Because what happens is if you are 
either just starting off or you just you haven't done this it is really hard to get to the store to buy everything you need when you just need a little corner of something or sometimes people may live in an area that don't have access to it but they want to try it before they go out and buy it in bulk or just you know purchase it so i would just go and cut them the exact piece of stabilizer they needed the exact piece like when we did patches i would cut them the exact kind of twill so that i could control the stitch when we got on camera to do it all together because the way it happens you I send you everything and that's not it. You don't just get it and follow instructions. We hop on Zoom and we stitch it out. And I have a motto, it's like no stitcher left behind during the project. There's been plenty of times where someone has started a project and halfway through, I look at the screen and I'm like, you're not stitching anymore, what's going on? Oh, my machine started messing up. And I'm like, well, no, we're, we're gonna get through this. And to the best of my ability, if we can, whether it means me going through the whole project with everybody else and then we double back to the person to help them get through it we did it so that's that's what i really 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 enjoy about it because i mean if you're going to do a project you want to finish it that's yes that's the thing. you want to finish it you so want to it, finish it yes so when it's now instead of just doing the one-offs i'm transitioning to the subscription model where you will get it, it'll be more like a premium box so it won't just be the supplies you may get something nice like like a a cup of, or this is a gorgeous water bottle, y'all, with embroidery facts on it. This is fantastic. Love. So anything that has to do with embroidery or sewing, you, you'll get just some kind of fun goodie in it along with your supplies each month. And it'll come with the replay. It, it'll just be a whole, it'll be a whole experience around it. <laughs> oh, that is amazing. Wow, Alexis, thank you so much for sharing all this with us today. We are going to have to wrap up. But before we do, I want to ask you, the, the slogan for the Stitch Please podcast is that we will help you get your stitch together. What advice would you um, offer to our listeners to help them get their stitch together? Be consistent. I mean, that's always my major thing, you know, don't give up, use the right tools you have just to get through the right project. I tell all of my students all the time, use the right tools to get through the project. Don't go using, like you said, that glad wrap or, or regular thread when you're doing an embroidery project. And then the other one would be, I have, well, I, I created this planner, my pretty perfect planner. Yes. And it, it helps because when we're doing projects, we may forget that you have to have certain um, threads. Sometimes when I'm doing people's logos, the blue looks like the blue, looks like the other blue. So <laughs> if, if I write down the exact Floriani blue and the color and the name, yes. I can go back and save so much time by just knowing these are the colors that I need. I can write notes about it. I draw a little picture in it. So it just helps to have the consistency of your projects, your customer care, just all of it, all the way around. Just be consistent. And, and you all can, I will be sure to include links to purchasing the planner um, so you can help get your stitch together that way. And Alexis, where else can people find you on the socials? We'll put all those links in the show notes. So I'm on Instagram, So Sweet Monogramming. I'm basically everywhere, So Sweet Monogramming. And then the free embroidery group where we go live and we just kind of hang out, that is It's So Sweet to Learn on Facebook. And then once you subscribe to the Academy, then we um, shuffle you over into So Sweet Academy on Facebook. Fantastic. Y'all, you have heard a lot of really great tips and advice here from Alexis Galloway, who's going to help you get your stitch together with the embroidery. Alexis, thank you so much for being here with us today. Thank you for having me. You've been listening to the Stitch Please podcast. 
the official podcast of Black Women Stitch, the sewing group where Black Lives Matter. We appreciate you supporting us by listening to the podcast. If you'd like to reach out with, to us with questions, you can contact us at blackwomenstitch at gmail.com. If you'd like to support us financially, you can do that by supporting us on Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N, and you can find Black Women Stitch there in the Patreon directory. And for as little as $2 a month, you can help support the project with things like editing, transcripts, and other things to strengthen the podcast. And finally, if financial support is not something you can do right now, you can really, really help the podcast by rating it and reviewing it anywhere you listen to podcasts that allows you to review them. So I know that not all podcast directories or services allow for reviews, but for those who do, for those that have like a star rating or just ask for a few comments, if you could share those comments and say nice things about us at the Stitch Please podcast, that is incredibly helpful. Thank you so much. Come back next week and we'll help you get your stitch together. (laughs) 